Thanks, Matt. Yeah, I'm really excited to kick off our series on worship, and um, Nick and I have been working together on what that'll look like, and uh, I'm really excited about like what it looks like we'll get to cover um, in many different ways of individual worship and what you do in your quiet time with the Lord to what you do with your uh, time where you're doing something strenuous or your work or something that you don't always enjoy to corporate worship and what the heck are we doing? Why are we singing songs in the church body? Uh, to even tough questions about worship like good, acceptable worship to the Lord versus worship that he does not accept or, or impure worship, which Nick's going to get on a little bit next week. So we're coming in hot from the start and that makes me nervous. So uh, I have really thrown my life into figuring out, like, what is it that the Lord wants in worship? Uh, I grew up not a music person at all. Grew up uh, just always competing in sports, um, like three-sport athlete in high school, went to college, didn't compete, but then I was like, okay, I got to figure out something athletically to do, so I'm going to start running marathons. So it was just like, whatever is, like, the thing that I could physically do to grow myself in that way, I would. Uh, but what's funny is along that way, right about in college, uh, the Lord suddenly grabbed my affections in my heart uh, where worship seemed like that's the best thing to respond to him with. <laughs> but the problem was I didn't like know how to do any of that really. Uh, so picked up a guitar, figured out some chords, started leading worship. We'd go to w- the prayer chapel with Trevor on Friday nights and just be the two of us and maybe Amanda or Kristen would trickle in, and we'd be figuring things out together, like what the Lord is doing in worship, and those are some of the sweetest memories I have of encountering the Lord, just because it was like so unknown and childlike and exploration of God's heart, Uh, and I hope that this series encourages us to like never lose that, because there's just, there's so much there for us uh, in that exploration of God's heart and knowing him deeply and intimately like that. And then there's also the, the revelation and the knowing truth that uh, we are going to worship God as he reveals himself to us. So the fact that God is a revealing God, unlike other religions, that he came down to earth and said, hey, this is actually how I want you to know me, to serve me, and I'm going to make it happen by doing this thing on the cross and then resurrecting, and that's how we worship. That's like just the whole series right there. So... Um, I'm really excited to get into it. Uh, When I stepped into this role in 2015 as the worship pastor, uh, I felt just extremely, like, out of my place. Like, not only was I just, like, a baby musician in a lot of ways, but uh, I really just, like, had no clue how to lead a church in, like, good doctrinal songs or whatnot, and even, like, how to arrange stuff as a music. Um, So I kind of threw myself into, like, giving myself a close as I could is to a degree in worship by myself. Um, and it's kind of like, this series isn't like a culmination of that in a sense, but I've, I've spent like the last seven years just like trying to figure it out. Because of like the mystery and the wonder and the hunger that I've experienced in worship. And I'm talking even greater than just like what we experience in a song or music on church Sundays or in, in chapel throughout the week or uh, worship with friends, like, it's kind of, it could be helpful. Thing about worship is, worship, if it's a big circle, we have 
all aspects of our life in that circle. And then one of those aspects is there's a, there's a church circle. And so there's, there's worship that flows through church. And then inside the church circle, there's music, and that's very specific. And then we have singing in there. And, then, and even in that form, we have all these other forms of worship that we can, we can express to the Lord inside a church. And so there's going to be a lot of different ways that we're going to talk about worship. It's a very broad term, obviously. And so I hope tonight we can kind of get a good foundation of what the rest will, t- will be going towards. And the way it'll go for this series is there'll be a lot more like whole life posture of worship at the beginning. And then we'll kind of get into some more of the, like the finer details of like church worship and music. And what do we do when we get together and sing? So uh, I'm really excited about that, especially because I just, I know that the Lord does stuff in worship. Um, which we can kind of get to that when we get there, but I just want to say that now, like even before we, before I got up here and we started, it's just like, I don't know if you guys like felt the Lord actually doing things in your heart. Like I was, I was brought back to memories that I have whenever I was first encountering this stuff when I was a freshman at college and just how the Lord started giving me visions in worship. And that wasn't a thing I knew what to do with, but thankfully I had, I had teachers here who were willing to like, like, be okay with the weirdness of, like, not necessarily the weirdness of visions, but the weirdness of me thinking it's weird and, like, all the other stuff that uh, baby Christians can come, like, with the baggage of it. Oops, sorry. Uh, And so we'll get into that, but just know right now, God does stuff in worship. Like, every time that we walk through these doors, we don't need to warm up to start singing to the Lord. Like, he's here. His presence is in the gathered body, when we sing even the words of his revealed truth, he is going to be in that. So, what is worship? A very easy definition would be worship. Like, what I find worthy, I'm going to bestow that worth on that thing. So in a very broad sense, like, we are just worshiping beings. Like, no matter what faith a person might have, all the way to atheism, we are worshiping creatures. We find things to worship. It's just natural. I would say it's, it's a good thing if it's directed rightly, you know, uh, because it's just going to happen. Uh, so... That's why it could be worth dedicating a whole series on, like, what the heck is worship? So, worship, what you find worthy, is probably one of the easiest ways to think about it. Now, the Bible reveals, especially in the Old Testament, the word worship isn't even, like, that easy to define. There's so many different words, all the way to physical postures, that are, like, attributed to worship. And so, we will touch on some of those things, but tonight, I kind of want to think about, like, that whole broad, like, what I find worthy. And so the second thing with knowing what is worship is that my identity is based off of what I worship. So I like the phrase, you are what you worship, or uh, like I am becoming what I worship. Um, Because think about it like in a very like practical sense, like uh, I love sports. Melissa knows this very well. She tallies whenever I mention sports every time I talk. Uh, if, 
if I'm dedicating myself, I mean, so it's, it's something I, I need to watch a lot of times in the mornings. It's really easy just to pull out my phone and start checking scores, start checking news of only sports. <laughs> and that's just, that's just my go-to, okay? So the way that I talk, the things that I find interesting in life, the, the ways that I'll occupy my time, whether it's like what the physical activity I do to how I even view that physical activity, they're really centered around a lot of, like, just my love for sports. And it's because I find that the, the realm of sport attractive or worthy. Like, I have all these, these things that I value that, that sports do, so therefore I'm going to, like, put myself into that. And obviously it's like, each one of you have that thing, or maybe multiple things, and that's, that's a good thing, because then it's like, okay, how do we channel our, our true genuine worship to the Lord in that? But that's where it's like, our identity, if it stops there, then it's just going to be, we're going to be on the, the wheel of life, just like trying to find the next thing, the next thing. And that next thing, I'm not even just talking like jobs, if I'm talking marriage, family, like our identity has to start as a worshiper of God because that's the only thing that cannot fail me. I can lose my family tonight, but if my family, if my family is my grounding of worship, then what am I now? What is my identity? So, Tonight, that's what, that's what I want us to get to, is that my treasure, everything that my life is geared towards, is my worship of God. And again, don't just think of music. I'm not, I'm not just talking about the music, singing song, that kind of thing. I'm talking my rhythms, how I do my job, how I lead my family, how I talk to my daughter. Those things are how I worship God. It's kind of funny, I think, as charismatics, we like to think that we're not, like, all, like, religious at times, and uh, some, sometimes we are not, but I think a lot of times we actually really are. <laughs> uh, and what I mean by, like, religious or uh, maybe some legalism is anything that I put as, like, the way I access God or the, the better tool to worship Him. So, I mean, it's really easy. It's like, I, I have a specific taste of music that I like. So, if it was all up to me, you guys would be listening to a lot of John Mark McMillan covers. And maybe sneak in a little, like, country stuff. See if we could work it in. I don't know. <laughs> but it's not, right? Like, I, I want to lead in a certain sense where it's like, okay, this is good for the body. Um, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but that's something I want us as a church body to be aware of in, throughout this whole series is like, am I, am I looking at a form of worship as more so closely to my identity? Because it's even when I look at my identity as a worshiper, it's not a guitar player. It's not a singer. It is a worshiper. It's a son of God who finds 
God worthy of my worship. So whatever, whatever form that we get to express that in, essentially manifesting my worship to him, it's good, but let's not let it become chief. So, uh, that's where it could be really fun to even, like in this, we'll, we'll, we'll get into a little more. I'm excited for like what Kathy's going to share a little bit with the two, but um, some of us, maybe some of you, maybe you haven't even touched some of this. I, I come from like a liturgical background, um, like a, a Lutheran church, and so I have, I have a lot of appreciation for that, but then it's like, okay, just through things in my life, I ended up here, and like, this is the way that I worship God a lot now, so it's like, both of those, like super liturgical and very free, let's do a spontaneous bit here. That last fountain song, that was not in the set. Good job, Dawn. She threw that in there. A little curveball for us all. Like all that kind of stuff, that's, that's fun to me and I have, have value for that now. But then at the same time, I also love and cherish the way that the Lord grew me in liturgy and rhythms. And that all even goes to the way of like having disciplines uh, within my own life. Like, your disciplines are part of your worship, uh, which could be tough for us, some of us who aren't disciplined. But I'll, I mean, I'll challenge you. Like, it's like, no one's going to be naturally disciplined in life. Uh, it's really about finding the things that you cherish. And if, if you want something bad enough, you're going to go after it. So making that, again, not the form, like, read my Bible, read my Bible. Nope. It's, wow, I want God to speak to me. I'm going to read my Bible. And one day of dedicated Bible reading, you may not notice, like, a big difference in yourself, but I promise you 10 years of daily rhythm Bible reading, that's a rhythm of worship where you're going to be transformed in your mind. Little things like that. Like, let's, let's look to grow in, in, like, how we view worship or what we view valuable. Um, and that kind of goes, I could be preaching to a whole different congregation, and it would be like a different target in a sense. Okay, so some sacred cows everywhere. This is something I've, I've brought up before, and it's, it has been one of the most foundational realizations I've had with the nature of worship and praise. And that was something that C.S. Lewis actually uh, had as a barrier before he came to know the Lord. And that was the, the question of, what do you do with a God who commands himself to be worshipped. And I actually struggled with this when I was in high school without even knowing that I was asking such a profound question. But it was in the way of I had just given my, my self to the Lord. Um, well, essentially, I had, I had prayed a prayer where I recognized my need for him. And I remember, I remember thinking that very explicitly, like walking out, looking up in the sky, and thinking, I know that I need God. And so I'm going to give myself to you, whatever that means. And that was kind of it. And I remember even weeks later, laying in bed, thinking, I don't understand Jesus, though. Like, there's, there's something different there. So I'm going, to, I'm going to claim God. I'm not going to claim Jesus. That was my thought. Because there was so much more weight to me with the name Jesus than God. Because God is kind of like, 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 that can be just thrown in anywhere in our culture kind of thing, and it's, like, everything from sports interviews after a game to, um, 
like how people swear, you know? Like it's like, it's just how, uh, how much, sorry, I'm, I'm not gonna go there. Um, so I struggle with that question of what do I do with Jesus? And, and how do, like he is demanding my life. So I'll answer this how C.S. Lewis answers it because he did a better job than me. Uh, this is in his Reflections on the Psalms, which I would encourage you to go read because it's just a wonderful uh, look at what is worship in the Psalms um, and not a like strict academic theological sense. Um, so I'm going to shorten this quote here to very small. He says, all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. So everything that I enjoy naturally will automatically default to praise. Like it's, it's I love attributes about my, about my wife, so I will talk about how she challenges me with thinking of others. It is, so like, in a sense, I am praising my wife for that. Everything, you know, just fill in the blank of the enjoyment. The sunrise, the sunset, the meal, your family. So in a sense, my worship of that thing, my enjoyment of that thing, isn't finished until I praise it. And so that's the great thing with God. It's like, so in his, his telling us, his commanding us to praise him, what he's actually wanting us to do is to completely enjoy him. So when I sing, it is an act of just enjoying God. That's, that's one of the most like refreshing Relieving, I don't need to bust my butt to make things work kind of truth that I have ever <laughs> come across. <laughs> that I, I, even it's like, I don't even need to work to enjoy. It's like, take delight in the things that he has revealed. And that is something to enjoy. I have a, a former student, I'm a high school teacher, teacher on alternative school. Um, I think he illustrates this really wonderfully uh, because he's not a Christian. Um, and him and I have had so many wonderful conversations about faith um, and his struggles with Christianity in particular. And the thing with him was uh, he, he got caught up on that point that Christians have to worship God and even then specifically that we want others to as well. So because of that, he... he was just like, that's so overbearing, uh, that's pushy, um, that's disrespectful to what I find valuable. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> because mine's better. <laughs> so his social media feed, it's, it's great. Uh, it's, it's like full of like hot takes of like this thing that he loves and that's music. Uh, so you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and so to his credit, he has very good taste in music. Like he, he opened up a lot of my world of music that I actually didn't. So it was, actually, it was really fun, all these opportunities with him, uh, him giving me like deep cuts on these 
wonderful musicians who I didn't, never heard of who have multiple Grammys and that kind of stuff. Uh, so he's on his feed, is always praising these, this music. And the, I actually, I, I looked up his, his feed in preparation of this, and his most recent post was, the Minecraft soundtrack just brought me to tears. <laughs> I'm like, that's exactly what I'm talking about right there. So it's funny, because the barrier to him worshiping God is that he does not find God enjoyable in the same way that he finds the music he loves enjoyable. If he found God truly that source of joy, that which makes me happy, then it would be a no-brainer to worship him. So that's where it's like, I don't even want to get on, like, over-focus on, like, the form of worship. It's just like, but who is he to you? What has he said to you? What, what do the scriptures testify about him? Who have you seen healed? So it kind of puts us in a spot where it's like, we're going to worship no matter what worldview we have. What are you going to worship? So why God, he tells us to. Uh, in Exodus, when God revealed himself to Moses, and he kind of does like the whole big reveal, and Moses is kind of like fighting with him, going back and forth, and it's kind of like, but why? And he's like, because you need to go into the wilderness and worship me for three days. He says, to make sacrifices. And then when Moses goes to Pharaoh, preceding the plagues each time, he says, let, let my people go so that we can go worship him. It's that simple. That's why Matt read that passage at the beginning here. where Moses, in comparison now, is like small to what we have. And Israel was entirely being reoriented around the need for Israel to go and worship God. So Exodus 20, Luke 4, Jesus echoes this, Worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. That's our direction. That's where we'll find our identity. Uh, there's a lot of ways to do that. We'll get into them later. Yeah, we'll get into them later. <laughs> As in later in the series. So I'll skip some stuff. So real quick, how do we worship? I have, t I have two stories here that I love. Uh, not including John 4, which is going to kind of set the scene here. Um, so two stories to kind of illustrate how do we worship. Thinking whole life, not just here. Yes, here, but when you go home, when you do homework, when you put your kids to bed. John 4, famous passage. We've covered it before here. Jesus uh, appears to the woman of Samaria. Uh, there was a lot of baggage in that, uh, racial baggage. Uh, class baggage, gender baggage, and he blew them all up. Um, so I'm going to skip a little bit here for the sake of time. Uh, he asked her to 
give him a drink. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. And he says, okay, I'm going to, this other verse is awesome. All right. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Talking about the well where she was drawing water. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up in everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five. And the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. So that sounds nice, right? The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So there, she's focusing on a form, like a specific way that I need to worship a kind of a checklist for me to, to get done. And it's like when I'm at my home washing dishes, I'm not on the mountain, so I can't be worshiping. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So this is like Jesus busting down the door of how my brain thinks we need to worship. Because it now becomes centralized in a person. So there's something that we could, this, this could be a whole Bible class in seminary that you take on Old Testament temple worship and, and the sacrificial system and there's glorious truth revealed in it. And ah! <laughs> Put it on my back now. Oh, the clip just broke. Put it in my pocket. Uh, there's glorious truths to be understood there. But like she, she knew them. Uh, that's, that's why she was so essentially confused and shocked at Jesus revealing these things to her. So now it becomes more about the person, Jesus, and his eventual presence in me, the Holy Spirit being gifted. So the way that Jesus calls us to worship here is in spirit and truth. That's what I want to break down here. And uh, I want to do it with these two stories, because these two stories have like, I just, they've set me on paths of discovery of the Lord's heart and his nature. So I'm going to start with the spirit. So I believe Jesus here is referencing our spirit. I don't think he's referencing the Holy Spirit, because there's specific other mentions of the Holy Spirit in the book of John, and this isn't kind of in the same way that he's doing that. And he says, you worship him. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth, addressed to her. Uh, so my spirit connecting to Jesus. So there's a story uh, in the Old Testament. We're going to 2 Samuel, I think. You don't need to flip there. I'm going to kind of tell it, but I want to give you the reference specifically. Oh, I'm on the other page. Yeah, 2 Samuel 19. So uh, there's 
a guy in the Bible, his name is Mephibosheth. Uh, and he's not as well known of a guy, maybe because of his name, I don't know. But what's unique about him is that he was the last descendant of Saul when David assumed the throne. So back in that day, when a king would, when a new king would like overthrow another king, essentially, uh, that meant that that other entire king's family would get killed so that there wouldn't be an uprising to take back the king. So when Saul had died, his whole family heard about it. They take off. Uh, in the taking off, Mephibosheth's mom stumbles and he gets, he gets hurt. In a sense, that actually leaves him lame for the rest of his life. So, Zoom forward to David's reign. Everything's going great. Uh, he's sitting around one day at the dining room table, and he goes, is there anyone left in Saul's family? And they're like, there's this guy named Mephibosheth in this town, and he's lame. And he's like, bring him to me. And so it's like, imagine like Mephibosheth. He, he knows what the expectation is. But instead, David takes him in, and he says, I want to bless my friend Jonathan, who was Saul's son. And he says, the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to keep you in my court. You can sit at my table. You can eat my food. You can sleep well. And it doesn't matter that you really can't do anything because you can't use either of your legs. So Mephibosheth gets to live in the court which is a total analogy of us being brought into the kingdom of God. Now, what makes this really fun with worship is later on, David gets kind of ousted <laughs> by his sons. Okay, so David has to take off because his kingship is in question now. So he runs to the hills. He's got his guys with him. And he kind of throws it out there like, everyone who's loyal to me has to come with me. Uh, and I'm kind of, this is like, it's worth reading this whole story. Second Samuel. Uh, so someone has it out for Mephibosheth, and he says something to Mephibosheth that gets him to go away from David. So Mephibosheth doesn't get to go with David, and even if he could, he probably wouldn't have been able to because of his legs. So eventually things work out for David. David comes back to Jerusalem. He's like walking into the temple, <clears throat> and he sees Mephibosheth there, and he's like, Mephibosheth, why didn't you come out with me? And at first he was, he was like upset at Mephibosheth for not going with him to that place. Uh, what Mephibosheth does, and I, I mean, yeah, maybe I should have read this whole thing to you guys, but it's fine. <laughs> Mephibosheth came running out to greet David, and he showed remorse to him that he wasn't with him while he was running for his life. Mephibosheth tells David that he'd be dead if it weren't for David. He says, what further right have I then to cry to the king? And David is so flattered by this response that David goes, hey, this, piece of, this huge piece of land over here, let's split it between Mephibosheth and this other guy who came with me. Because David is just so like, oh, that's like, that's the response of like a loyal person. I love that. <clears throat> 
So Mephibosheth's response says he said to the king, Rather, let him take it all, inasmuch as my lord the king has come back in peace to his own house. So Mephibosheth's response was, I don't want any of that inheritance. What I would rather have is to be with you in your house. So my entire life, my whole spirit within me, he wants to be oriented around David's place and his rhythms in life. And the first time I read that, I was like, wow, that's like, like, like Mephibosheth who, you know, he started as just like the lame last descendant of Saul who should have been killed to elevate it to the table to like, okay, now you have this whole lot available to you. And he says, let him take it all. My Lord, the king has come back in peace to his own house. That's where I want to be. This is similar to the, the parable of the hidden treasure in Matthew 13. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. <clears throat> I love that. That's like total, irrational, uh, wholehearted, genuine, extravagant worship of my spirit. Not of my, worship my spirit, of that's my spirit giving it to the Lord. So now truth, the second story here. Uh, Exodus 31, we have uh, everything kind of preceding it is God kind of setting up Israel and Moses and Aaron to do the whole tent worship thing where they're, they're following the cloud, the presence of God, and then God lays out like a whole thing, all right, this is how you're going to do it. And there's like ridiculous instructions, right? Like a little overwhelming. And to them, it's probably like, okay, like was this worth it coming out? Like they start kind of asking that question to Moses. So here's the beautiful thing that kind of like you might miss going over all that stuff because that part in scripture can sometimes be hard, harder to read. So Exodus 31 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels or setting, and carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. So what's crazy about this is this is actually the first instance of God saying, I'm filling, my, I'm filling that person with my spirit. So the spirit of God is mentioned, I mean, it's mentioned in the first three chapters in the Bible, uh, but this is the first time where it's like God filled that person. And what does he fill him for? Work. To be a craftsman, to take pride in his work whether it's teaching, printing t-shirts, building satellites, taking care of kids, working HR. <laughs> yeah, Ryan's in HR. <laughs> he wanted me to call him out. <laughs> uh, 
it goes to show the, the uh, intentional, disciplined, thought-out process of worship. Now, this is, also, this is why I tied into John 4, is because it's, it needs to be associated with the truth of God, the revealing of Jesus in that truth. But it's almost like, I think even as charismatic sometimes we miss, like, how maybe the daily monotonous, intentional tasks or my life's work is just as much worship as Mephibosheth going, he can take it all, I'll live with you. And that's, that's that like beautiful tension in what the Father is looking for with us. So I want the worship team to come back up. And that woman at the well story, it ends. She's not, she's not choosing spirit or truth. She chose a person. And that person means that spirit and truth. That I will give myself up to be ridiculous. And I will give myself up to work hard, to be intentional, to keep the main things the main things, that kind of thing. So we're going we're gonna to get into later sermons on uh, the nature of revelation and how God, being a revealing God, revealed himself in specific ways for us to worship him and how good and delightful that is. Uh, but I want to end with this. Uh, one, of the, maybe the most, one of the most mysterious passages I've come across in Scripture. Job 38, 1 through 7. Uh, where Job was essentially questioning God on uh, all the things that had been done wrong to him, essentially, and his suffering. It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. He said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you. You will answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched out the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Did you catch that right there? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. During creation. Like there was like a soundtrack to creation. It was music. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the Minecraft soundtrack. <laughs> but I know from that that God made music, one, before he made the earth. Maybe music has been like with him for all, like God is just, God is like woven in with music. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but I know that he explicitly made it to connect our hearts to his and that for everyone watching creation it was just like oh this is how we do it now <laughs> this is how we worship with shouts for joy 
And then in Deuteronomy 31, this was right before Moses passed the reins on to Joshua. And essentially, God tells Moses, like, hey, they're all going to screw up. Israel will. Um, they'll screw up in these ways. But I want you to do these things to stop it. And this, this is the thing that God told Moses to pass down to Israel, families and generations. Write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. When I have brought them into the land of flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat. Then they will turn to other gods and serve them. They will provoke me and break my covenant. I'm going to skip down a little bit. Therefore Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. Then he inaugurated Joshua and said, Be strong and give good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land of which I swore them, and I will be with you. So, of all the schemes that God wanted to, to come up with to keep Israel on track, he said, here's a song. And that's why, that's why we sing in church. That's why singing actually is elevated above other forms of worship. It's mentioned in scripture over 400 times. Over 50 of them are specific commands to worship God by singing. So singing is a very explicit and practical way to keep yourself within God's will, within his happiness, within his enjoyment. And that's why we spend more time doing it. That's, that's why it's, it's worth the time. And so we're actually, we're going to sing a new song tonight uh, that will kind of be like our grounding song for this series in a sense. Um, so you, I encourage you to maybe take in the words at first, but then like the chorus and bridge is really meant as like a declaration of our hearts. So that's where I will encourage you to catch on and, and let it be true for you, for the words coming out of your mouth, that it's actually directive for you, for your heart. Even if you don't perceive it in your heart, if you don't feel it, it's like, well, I want to align myself with truth. So I'm going to choose to do that. And that's what this song we're hoping to do. Uh, so we're going to sing it, and then uh, Matt might have some time to call out some stuff too. Um, there's any sort of ministry after and we'll go from there. So we're good. Cool. I invite you guys to stand.